0: All right. Well, we're in week two of action figures, and that's uh, well—that's where we are. Last week we began talking about this idea: the action figures and the spirit of God bringing us to life, and uh, we're, we're in that continuing place to define what a hero is. So, what do heroes do? Heroes save the day, and sometimes they save the universe. Uh, sometimes they save the planet. For sure, they save someone or some ones. Heroes are known to save the day, which means that the whole idea of being a hero may feel more than a little inaccessible to me. So if, if uh, heroes save the day, then I, that may, that's inaccessible for me. I can't do something like that. I, I probably can't be a hero. You, you probably can't be a hero because saving uh, so much, uh, we reach the place where we, we, we can't do it. We just imagine it. We fantasize about doing it. And we can celebrate when somebody else does something extraordinary. But we also realize, we say, oh, they're they're just different than we are. They can do it, but we can't. It's just inaccessible. Until Jesus comes along. And you know this guy is good because with one single question, he not only made hero status accessible to you and to me, he made it to everyone. He actually, with one single question, takes away all of our excuses not to be a hero. He is so good that in one question, he did this for everybody, whether they are Christians or not, whether they believe in him or not, whether they go to church or not, for everyone, everywhere, throughout time. So I want to tell you this story, and uh, I want to reveal this extraordinary question that's hidden within this story, probably not hidden so well, a story that I think most of you are, uh, are going to know. Most people know this story, or at least have heard or reference, the summary To And this question, for every single one of you, no matter how old you are, how young you are, no matter what your religion, no matter what your religious beliefs, no matter what your experiences in life are, this single question is the on-ramp for you to realize that you have the opportunity to save the day. So here's the story. We're going to look at it. It's in Luke chapter 10. We're starting at verse 25. And it starts with, on one occasion... And there were many occasions, but this is just one of them, okay? But on this occasion, so on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And this happened a bunch. Jesus would teach, and then after that, he would frequently have some Q&A. And there always seemed to be people who were there who wanted to mess with him, to stump the teacher. There was somebody who wanted to try and embarrass him in front of the group that he was teaching. And so this guy says, teacher, um, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And so far it sounds really good, right? That's a good question. But Jesus is Jesus and he has met with these legal expert people before. He knows that there is more going on. He knows that this isn't the real question. There was a question behind the question. He knew the question was leading him somewhere. So Jesus being Jesus asks the man a question. So he says, what what is written in the law? And he replied, "How how do you read it? So you're the expert in the law. The previous verse just told us, but the way you dress kind of tells us that. We can see who you are by what you're like, your attitude, the way you carry yourself. You're an expert in the law. So you tell me, what do you think is the answer? And the next part is great because the lawyer quotes the passage from the Jewish scriptures that we call that the Old Testament, um, that every single little Jewish boy and every single little Jewish girl memorized as a boy or as a girl. This lawyer memorized it as a boy, and and Peter memorized it as a boy, and Jesus memorized it as a boy, John memorized it as a boy, all the disciples memorized it. Everyone in the crowd who's listening to this interaction had memorized this verse. It was a big deal. And the answer to the question, what does God want first? Uh, How do you get in good with God? Or what's the greatest commandment? Or how do you gain favor to get eternal life? How can you be sure that God is going to listen to your prayers? All of those questions are essentially the same, and you can ask it in in those different ways, but the answer is the same, and they all know the answer. What did you learn When you grew up, what were you told about gaining favor or getting eternal life? And so the attorney quotes it. And as he does it, you can sort of imagine that the whole audience, their mouth is moving along with the words, right? They all know it. So their mouths are all going as he's saying it, just not in English. But if it was in English, this is what they would be saying. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And pause right there. That's the correct answer, all right? But a little bit before this, on another day, a different day, there was a different group, there was a different teaching, there was a different Q&A session with Jesus was there, and there was more people who were there trying to stump Jesus as well. And on that previous day, someone had asked Jesus the same question, but they had used some of the other words to say it. They had said it this way. They said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? What makes God most happy? What's God really into? What's his priority And Jesus answered the question like he had been raised to answer it. He answered the question like most, if not all the people in the audience, would have answered it. But, as most of you know, Jesus added a second part. What Jesus added was what? Do you remember? And your neighbor as yourself. And we don't really get this in the 21st century because that's the way the passage has always been read for us. We don't see anything different. But you need to know that when Jesus added that second verse to the thing that everyone knew, there was a murmur that went through the crowd. Jesus was now messing with tradition. Now he was messing with what they had learned as little Jewish boys and little Jewish girls. And this signaled a shift from the vertical orientation between them and God to a horizontal orientation with God. And that was a big, big deal. The part that he added, it wasn't new material. He wasn't writing it. It still comes from the Jewish scriptures. And if you had to guess, can you guess what book that it might come from? Yes, deafening. Um, if you said Leviticus, you're bang on, all right? <laughs> But what's significant about this verse is that the author in it actually defines the term neighbor, okay? The verse actually tells us exactly what and who a neighbor is. So I know you're dying to get to the Leviticus part because you want to see that, but then we'll go back to Jesus in mid-conversation, okay? So the verse that Jesus is quoting from Leviticus, um, this is the most important thing. This is what uh, is important to God. And so it's Leviticus chapter chapter 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. Your people. These. These are my people. I have to because these are my people. Have you ever heard anything like that? People say your people. Well, this is where it comes from. You probably didn't know that. And the people who use that language, that that phrasing, they probably didn't know that. But surprise, you're quoting Leviticus. You'll be so proud to do that around the office now. Leviticus. My people. My people. It's a very ethnic kind of identity. It's a very nationalistic kind of thing. So this verse is talking about how you treat people. Please ensure that you do not bear a grudge against anyone who is your people. And then the author uses one of those uh, Hebrew poetic or stylistic writing devices where they they repeat the same idea but with different words. And this is where Jesus' quote comes from. So all that. But, and in contrast, in, in contrast to what that is, instead of bearing a grudge against your people, love your people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't bear a grudge against your people. No, no, no. Love your people. And the Jewish people who took the scriptures seriously, do you, do you, they knew who their neighbors were. They knew that they were other Jewish people. Your people. A Jew's neighbor was a Jew's people. Now, everybody knew that. If you went to the streets of Jerusalem or to Galilee and you asked them, who's your neighbor? My neighbors are my people. My neighbors are my Jewish brothers and my Jewish sisters. Those are, these are my neighbors. Meanwhile, back at Jesus mid-conversation, apparently this attorney was in the audience when Jesus added the and love your neighbor as yourself part. He must have gone away after that. And and the, the first time he was thinking to himself, Aha! I think I have found a way to trap Jesus. And then by doing that I'm going to alienate him from the crowd that are following him. So this attorney shows up and he asks his question. He knows all about the second part and then he grins. And here's how he answers the question. So Jesus turns the question back to him. What do you think you have to do to gain eternal life? And the attorney answers, I think that I have to. And then he goes off on the thing that everyone knows. Love the Lord, my God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he grins at Jesus. And he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the attorney gives Jesus back, Jesus' own answer. But he's up to something. He's not just trying to get the right answer so that everyone thinks, wow, you're really smart. He gives the answer as a setup to the next question that he's just about to ask. And so now it's time. I'm going to spring the trap on Jesus. I've got him. I've hooked him. I gave him what he wanted, and now I'm going to turn it. So Jesus smiles, because very rarely does anyone get a question fully right when Jesus asks it. And so in verse 28, he says, you have answered correctly do this and you will live. You gave the entire answer, not just part one, but you got part two as well. It's not just about keeping God happy with an eye to the sky. You can't keep God happy if you don't love the people around you. You nailed it. You got it. Good answer. Way to go. And then Jesus kind of thinks we're done, so he's kind of turning to leave. But The attorney wanted to justify himself. Now the real question comes up. The real question is going to come out. Now here is the stumper. Now is the trick question. Now is the question that he hopes that when Jesus gives the answer that he expects Jesus will give, game over for Jesus and we're going to break that tie with him and his followers. So he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So, love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. Nobody knows if you do that. How do you know? How do I know if you love God like that? How do you know if I do? You can't. You don't. But I can see how you treat your neighbor. And you can see how I treat my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? The answer is too broad. And I think his real question is what is the minimum amount of Jewish neighbor-loving required in order to get me into heaven? So Jesus knows what's going on. He sees through the games, so Jesus doesn't answer that question. Jesus answers the question that the guy should have been asking. Because the real question for them and for us is not really, who is my neighbor? It's not a who question, it's a what question. And the better question would be, what does neighbor love look like? If my responsibility is to love my neighbor as myself, then Jesus, please give me some practical tips. How do I do it? What does it look like? But what he's really asking is the question that we all ask all the time, but we've never ever used these words. But here's the question. How close can I get to sinning without actually sinning how can i give to god what he wants but without missing out on what i want we've all asked that question at some point right you got to be honest with yourselves i hear it all the time hey pastor does the bible really say that's a sin for years i got how far can i go in dating before i'm sinning what's the absolute closest i can get to sin yet still say that i am in pursuing god And whenever you ask that question, the Bible goes silent. Jesus goes silent because you're missing the point. I don't want you to find that line. I want to inspire you to do something great, not to focus on the minimum requirements. Eyes up, earnest pursuit, not eyes around and seeking to be as far from God as possible, but still claim relationship. Who would want to answer those questions to their kids? Parents, you know this, like just imagine, dad, how far can I go before you hate me? I would love to find that line and then ride that line. Stay there as long as possible. Jesus never gives the minimum requirement. So the question's still hanging. Who's my neighbor? Which Jesus, that, that's his cue to launch into one of the most disorienting, paradigm-shifting parables of all time. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the lawyer's got to be thinking, but no, 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 wait, wait, wait. That's not what I asked. I asked you, who's my neighbor? Jesus, you're changing the subject. You're changing the question. You always do this. Jerusalem is probably about 3,300 feet above Jericho in terms of elevation. It's about 27 rocky, treacherous kilometers between them. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. And this is not any sort of sexual thing. Clothes in this time period are just very valuable. If you're going to kill a guy, you definitely, definitely take their clothes. Fabrics are hard to come by. So they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Now, this is the part that you're going to love. This is our interactive, uh, engaging, participation part of the service. This is the part that you love. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand even though I know that you hate raising your hand. Raise your hand if you hate raising your hand. Yeah? Great. (laughs) Here's the question. Before today, how many of you have ever heard of the story of the Good Samaritan? How many? Do you know that if we ask that same question in countries all over the world, in whatever language those people speak, most people would have heard of the story, or at least they've heard of the term Good Samaritan. And they would raise their hands too, even though they probably hate raising their hands also. The parable of the Good Samaritan is not just a parable that Jesus taught. It has grown into an idiom. We use the term all the time. Newspapers shortcut by referencing something that happened by saying, weren't those people Good Samaritans? And nobody responds with, they're a what? None of you know any Samaritans, but you know what a good Samaritan means. More than 2,000 years ago, Jesus introduced a word picture through a story, and it continues to impact our culture to this day, whether you believe in Jesus or not. This is just another reason that I think that you should follow Jesus. You really should. This is what Jesus um, called people to do. And he was such a good teacher. He's such an influential teacher that his lessons are still being taught today or they're being inferred today, again, whether you believe in him or not. So step one in pursuing Jesus doesn't have to be, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. That doesn't have to be step one. Just take a step and begin to learn more and to follow a tremendously influential teacher. Whether you believe everything I believe in or not, You can start to pursue Jesus in that way. So first you can belong. You can belong to the group. You can be part of the team. But then you can grow in belief. And then then you can be growing in your boldness to live it out, to share it, to declare it, to help others come with you on that that, that road trip that we're on together. And maybe today you can just embrace part of the story. We're going to get back to it. But maybe you can deepen your belief and, and, and change the way that you live, adjust your living based on those beliefs. Maybe you're even ready to start to declare the trust that you have through something like baptism. And our next baptism uh, event, party, celebration is going to be Sunday, June 24th. So plan to attend it. Mark it in your your calendar. Um, Plan to be in it if you've never been baptized. Plan to start this baptism process today. Get thinking about what you could do. Okay, back to the Good Samaritan. This stuff that he's teaching here is not common sense, all right? It's not general knowledge. It is uniquely Christian teaching when Jesus introduced it to the world. When when Jesus introduced this to his Jewish audience, this was not a Jewish thing to do. Nobody was doing this. Nobody did what he's asking us to do, and yet we're still talking about it today. You should follow Jesus because he will make your life better, and he will make you better at life. This is one of those places that has an immediate takeaway from this kind of story because everybody in the world wants more good Samaritans in the world. If everybody in the world, if everybody in your family, if everybody in Stouffville, if everybody in York region would simply take this one teaching from Jesus seriously for one month, it would change the feelings. It would change the dynamics of wherever it was applied. It wouldn't even Need to be everyone. If just some, if even just some people took this seriously, this would be the kind of place where you'd want to live. Where that Good Samaritan ethic was embraced, you would want to be. You knew the story before it started. You have to let that sink in for a moment. It's remarkable. This is Jesus. Think about this the people that gathered around him that day and were listening to that story. You know, they're kind of, oh boy, come on. He's going to tell us another story. It's great. I love it when he tells these stories. I don't always know what they mean, but I love his stories. Honey, come on over. He's about to tell another one of his stories. They had no idea what was coming. They had no idea that because of that story that day that the world was about to change. They had no idea that they were sitting in live in an event that was going to be well-known And it was going to continue and grow into an idiom 2,000 years later. It's a hinge moment in the life of Jesus. It's a hinge between the old covenant and the new covenant. And this teaching changed things. After this teaching, the world would never be the same again. Okay, so a man goes on a trip. Goes from Jerusalem, he's going down to Jericho. He gets beat up and he gets left for dead. And now Jesus says, uh, two religious guys. Um, come down the same road. Maybe they're on the same journey, and they pass by their bruised and bleeding Jewish neighbor, and they don't lift a finger. They probably thought that he deserved it because it was uh, there's a lot of that karma-like belief back then as well. You know what goes around comes around. Um, you're bruised and bleeding, so obviously you deserve it. I'm not bruised and bleeding. Why would not bruised and bleeding? interact with bruised and bleeding. I deserve to stay not bruised and bleeding. There is no need, no reason for me to interfere here. And there are many countries in the world where this belief still exists. It's still the way things work. But let me tell you why you don't believe that. Because of Jesus' teaching. Whether you were a Jesus follower or not, you have been impacted by this teaching. Now, If Jesus' greatest hits formula, the idea of love God, love your neighbor, is true, then the two religious people that passed by their bruised and bleeding Jewish brother were doomed. Because they did not love God with all their heart and with all their strength because they did not love their Jewish neighbor. And everybody in the listening circle around Jesus hears this and they get the implication of what Jesus is saying in the story. But Jesus isn't finished, okay? So two religious people pass by on their way to wherever it is that they're going and Jesus decides to take this story over the top, all right? Verse 33, but a Samaritan. And perhaps at some point in your life you have heard the idea that Jews and Samaritans don't get along. It's a way bigger deal than that. And here's two words that'll help you get the idea of what it is. Institutionalized racism. That's kind of a term that's popular today, but it was established and it is accurate way back in the first century. It's it's a lot like South African apartheid. Everybody knew what the rules were. Everybody knew where the boundaries were. And nobody questioned them. Jews didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. They didn't speak to them. They didn't touch them, they didn't eat together, they didn't intermarry, everyone knew the rules. Jesus, at the risk of losing the crowd, he brings up a Samaritan, and you've got to think to himself, I think the attorney at this point was kind of going to himself, oh Jesus, you don't know what you're doing, you've gone too far, and now I've got you. It's safe to assume in that crowd that's listening that the majority of people there assumed that the Samaritan or a Samaritan was responsible for the robbery to begin with. And we do the same thing, right? When you hear about certain kinds of crimes, you immediately imagine a certain type of person who would commit that crime. Jesus' audience was the same. Verse 33, but a Samaritan. As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And then Jesus piles on. He does that Jesus extra mile thing. The, are you kidding me? He went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine. So translation, a Samaritan just touched a Jew. And the audience has got to be freaking out now. It's like a gross out horror movie for the audience. Like if there was a screen, they'd be yelling at the screen, stop! And they'd be throwing their popcorn. No, don't do it. Then the man put the other man on his own donkey. Oh no. Touched him again. He picked him up. Jesus, stop. This story is ridiculous. He put the guy on his own donkey. And that means that the Jewish man rode and the Samaritan man walked. And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. Every single one of those people in that audience would have known a Samaritan. And there was no one who would have done this kind of thing for a Jewish traveler. So Jesus goes farther the next day, just piles on some more, right? What do you mean the next day? Are you telling me, are you expecting me to believe that a Samaritan spent the night caring for a Jewish man to keep him alive and to tend to his wounds? I mean, it's one thing to make a call, just, I'll call someone for you. There's a guy down, we need help here. Did he really expect his audience to believe this? Verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Looked after him, he said. And when I return, Jesus just overwhelming these people. Just keeps piling it on. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This was so over the top, just ridiculous. But come on, it's over the top for us too. Even if we knew the person, But that's what Jesus said, and everybody was leaning in. This story was so good, and it definitely was not going where they were expecting. So after the commotion in the crowd kind of dies down, Jesus did something that no one in his audience would ever live long enough to appreciate. Do you know what he did next? Jesus redefined for everybody in every nation, every generation, he redefined neighbor. From this point forward in history, no one would ever have the freedom to define neighbor in terms of location alone. No one would have the permission and no one would have the right to dare to limit their definition of neighbor to people who were just like themselves. It's like a campaign of shock and awe that just expanded the definition of neighbor beyond Galilee and beyond Judea and beyond a single ethnicity. It's shocking. But the most shocking thing is that we completely miss it because we are 21st century English-speaking Western civilization people. Jesus expanded the definition of neighbor beyond the Jewish scriptures. And he did it all with one perfectly timed, perfectly crafted question. It's a question that causes all of us, Christians or not, Anybody can weigh in on this. This is just a human thing. But it does draw our attention to this remarkable person, Jesus. It's a question that forces you and it forces me to examine our hearts, to examine our prejudices, to examine ourselves. Is there still a bit of racism in me? To examine our hearts inside of me, the motivations, our values. Is there still some contempt in me for certain kinds of people? And the whole audience is leaning in. They're waiting for the conclusion. How does the story end? We started with a question about neighbors, and he went off on this wild story. Surely he's going to connect the dots for us. He's got to be putting it together. How does it fit together? Jesus, don't leave us wondering again today. So Jesus inquires of the attorney. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. The question is so easy, right? And that's what makes it completely horrible. So convicting. So weighty. So transformative. Now the question really summarizes that whole previous discussion. The real question is more like this. Which of the three loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength by loving a stranger as himself? That's the question. And that shifted the thinking and touched and impacted the world and continues the impact of the world. Which of these three treated a stranger like a neighbor? Which of these three was the hero? And in this moment, with this question, Jesus makes hero status accessible to you. And to me, whether we are Jesus' followers or not. In this moment, Jesus takes away all of your excuses and all of my excuses to step into the role of hero at some point in your life. The crowd was quiet. The expert in the law came to trap and to trick Jesus. He's standing there. Why in the world did I ask that blankety-blank question? Because everyone is seated. That's how you listen. The only two people standing are the expert in the law because he asked a question and Jesus. And now he's on the spot. No one else is supposed to answer the question, just him. And he knows the answer to the question. And if he answers it out loud, he becomes accountable to his own answer. You you parents, you know this. You know how it works. If you can just get your kids to provide the answer, if they will just say the, the yes or the no, then they know that they're accountable and things can change. And people are in this situation all the time. They're on the spot and they refuse to answer. They don't want to answer the question because they do not want to become accountable. And so they dodge it and they, and they make excuses and they walk out and they walk away. But you know that they know the answer to the question. They just don't want to say it. Expert in the law who came with a question to trap Jesus. He has a question behind the question. He had an agenda verse 37 the expert in the law replied the one who had mercy on him do you see what happened he couldn't say samaritan that was too much for him to bear and then i can sort of see jesus smiling not in victory but in delight delight because the heart of god was revealed in the answer understanding of the path forward was made clear. And so Jesus tells him, go and do likewise. Be the Samaritan. No applause. Silence. And in that moment, something in the world changed. Because very soon after this exchange, Jesus would become a neighbor to everyone, everywhere, in every nation, in every generation. And he would demonstrate his own love to you and to you and to you, and to me, by stooping down to bind and to heal the sin wounds of this world. All of your challenges and all of your problems stem from sin. Not just your sin, but sin that exists. Jesus would show himself to be the Samaritan for you and for me. And it cost him more than two nights in a hotel. It cost him his life. So, let me ask you the same terrifying question. The question that makes hero status accessible. The question that removes your excuses. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Do you know? It's the one who saw a need and met it. It's the one who knew the price and paid it. It's the one who didn't talk himself out of it. Which of these three loved the Lord his God, withheld his heart, soul, mind, strength, by loving a stranger as himself? The one who saw need and met it. The one who knew the price and paid it. The one who didn't talk himself out of it. Which of these three was the hero in the story? It's the one who saw a need and met it. The one who knew the price and paid it. The one who didn't talk himself out of it. And then Jesus says to the expert in the law, and then to the Jewish audience that was there that day, and then he says it to you and he says it to me, go and do likewise. You have no idea what hangs in the balance when you can see a need that you can meet and you meet it. When there's a price to pay and you decide whether or not I'm going to pay it. When you're trying to talk yourself out of it, choose to do for one what you can't afford through time or resources to do for many. Don't let yourself talk yourself out of it. Then do you know what might just happen? You might just have saved the day. You have no idea... What might be hanging in the balance of you listening to that still, small voice prompting you, pushing you forward. Go and do likewise. Father, thank you. Thank you for speaking into our lives. Even when it's so compelling, compelling to close our hands up and to care for ourselves, God, keep speaking to us. Would you just give us the courage to keep our hands open? Would you please help each of us to remain open to whatever it is that you want to do through us on behalf of your people? In doing that, in listening to you and following you, we can find that hero status is accessible to all of us. So I pray that before next week, you will have allowed us to see a need and then encourage us to meet it. God, help me. Help us to stop talking ourselves out of helping others. Amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You may be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Better when you're here, especially when we know how much it took for you to be here. Thanks for coming. It is better when you're here and it's better when we're together, so thanks for that. Send you out today and you can remember this as you go to fight the storms wherever you have to, that we are Christ-centered, we are spirit-empowered, and we are mission-focused. And that mission is for everyone, everywhere, all the time, and it gives purpose to everything that we do and everywhere that we go.